We are starting a new sermon series today for the next four weeks. So we've been going through 2 Corinthians, and normally that's just how we do it here. We, we pick books of the Bible, and we preach through them. So uh, we're doing a little special series just for t- this next four weeks called uh, Community Mission and Care. And the reason why is because if you walk around Remedy Church anywhere or you see anything, you'll see Remedy Church, and underneath it you'll see Community Mission and Care. And so that's really kind of the three main words that we want you to know about when you're thinking about Remedy. Uh, and so... If someone were to come up to you and say, hey, you go to Remedy Church, what do you, what's that all about? We would hope that you would say community mission and care. Uh, those would be the first three words that would pop into your mind, uh, hopefully. So, uh, and so if you think of those three words and they'll say, oh, what does that mean? And you, you would say, uh, uh, that hopefully the next three weeks are designed that you won't go, uh, but you'll say, oh, it means this. And you can start talking about what community, what mission, and what care is all about. Because uh, community mission care, the way that we've um, kind of designed the church uh, in our philosophy of ministry to do community mission care, we believe if we're doing our three words of community mission care, then we're fulfilling what is the purpose of the church. What is the mission of the church? The mission of the church is really threefold, to worship God, to equip the saints, and to reach the lost. That's, that's the threefold mission of the church. It's in the Bible. It's in any kind of systematic theology book you read, etc., etc. And so we believe that we do that with those three words. The same thing. We could do, you know, the up, in, out, or we could do all kinds of stuff. But we use community mission care. And so uh, if someone comes to you and you say, hey, what, what's Remedy Church about? It's about community mission and care. So I'm going to read you. This is our mission statement at Remedy Church. So if anybody asks you, uh, what's the mission statement at Remedy? It's on our website, but here it is. Uh, we exist to glorify God by fostering biblical community. That's today. Joining Jesus on mission. That's next Sunday. And practicing intentional care. That's the Sunday after that. And then actually the fourth Sunday we're going to do one for the glory of God. So there is a fourth sermon called For the Glory of God, and that's the first part. We exist to glorify God by, and I'm just going to do that week four. So that's, that's the next four weeks. And then after that, we're going to go to the book of Colossians. Uh, and after Colossians, we're going to go to the book of, have I told y'all? Daniel. It's going to be awesome. Daniel. We're actually going to bring a lion on stage. No, I'm just kidding. We're not. All right. So uh, anyway, community mission care is what we're going to be talking about. So um, uh, before we keep going, I just want to ha- give you a couple announcements, and then uh, I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump in. So we have a fall festival coming up that we want you to know about. This, these are out there in the lobby. It's on December 24th. This is COVID-friendly, as in social distancing, blah, 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 blah. So, but come, come to that. Blah. I'm not meaning to blah, blah, COVID. I'm just kind of over COVID. Uh, so I'm, I know I shouldn't be, and it's a real thing, and it's a real deal, and I'm not trying to downplay it. I know it's a real disease, etc. But man, aren't we all just like, oh, could it just be over with? Um, so anyway, we're going to have this on uh, Saturday, October 24th from 3 to 6. Um, and, you know, it's going to be COVID-friendly as in people are going to serve food with gloves and masks and, and uh, we're going to be outside and, and all that kind of stuff. So um, that, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. So anyway, um, the second announcement is I uh, just wanted to say thank you to everybody that's been praying for us and bringing us food so far for uh, our, our newest baby. He's awesome. His name's Asa, uh, and he's doing great. Um, so he's already sleeping all the way through the night. I'm just kidding. Um, but he is doing awesome, and Christy's doing awesome. And just wanted to say thank you uh, for all of, your, all of your helps and all of your prayers. So uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into uh, the text here. Uh, So let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your love, your mercy, your grace that you've given to us. Um, I pray that you would bless this time as we look into your word here to talk about community and what it looks like uh, today and that we can understand what you're calling us as a church to in regard to community mission and care. And so thank you for your uh, kindness to come and be with us. Holy Spirit, come now. Uh, Cause all of us to see and understand your word um, and that it would, you would use it to strengthen us, you would use it, use it to encourage us. Um, and more than anything, Lord, that you would convict us of all the places that we need to be convicted. Um, and help us understand what it is that you're calling us to in regard to biblical community. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
And uh, if you would, we stand when we, we read together. And so if you would stand with me, I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And then we will, we will jump in. So 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2. Now, uh, just as a reminder, um, we pick books of the Bible and we preach through them. While you're flipping and standing, I'm going to say this. Uh, we pick books of the Bible to preach through them because we believe in expository preaching here. We think that verse-by-verse expositional preaching is the best thing for your soul. And so over the next four weeks when we're doing community mission care for the glory of God, we're not— uh, we're, we're, I'll just say it this way. We're going to keep doing exp- expositional preaching. We're going to pick a text— and we're going to use that, not use it, but we're going to ex- exposit that text seeing what it talks about in regard to community today. And the next week, mission. Next week, in care. So we're still doing expositional preaching. We're just not preaching through books. So, but we are in First Thessalonians today, chapter 2. Verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witness, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you, encouraged you, and charged you, to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You have a seat. So uh, I, have, I have a few goals today when we're talking about community. We're talking about community, community mission care. I have a few goals when we're talking about community. Number one um, is to challenge you, if you're not living in biblical community, to challenge you to join into a biblical community uh, because it is one of the most important things that you can do as a believer in Christ. So if, if, if you're here at Remedy, that means to get into a community group. That's what we have. That's the way that we, to challenge you today, if you're not living in community, biblical community, to jump into it. So for Remedy, that means, that means being in a community group. If you go to another church, that means whatever way that they conduct that, that you, you jump into their their way of doing community. Number two, uh, not just to challenge you to live in community. Number two, to challenge your assumptions about community. We all have underlying assumptions about what we think it means to be in community. And some of those could be great. And some of those could be not so great. And so to challenge some of those assumptions that you have so that through the Bible, the Bible helps us determine what that really looks like and we obey Jesus and what he thinks real community is like. Because you could be convinced that you are absolutely doing community with people. Um, and even in this church, you've been at the church and you've been in a community group for a long period of time and you could be convinced that you are and the Bible might show you actually there's more you could be doing. And so to challenge some of the assumptions you have, lastly, is for those that are in, to encourage you to keep living in biblical community. Some of you are already doing it, and you know that it can become a, uh, a weary thing. It's, it, it, is, it is tough. It's tough to do. It, it means you have to um, be real with people and be vulnerable with people and deal with hurt and, and all those kinds of things. And I just want to encourage you to stay in it because it's worth it. It's worth it. So those are my goals today, and I want you uh, to encourage you as we, um, as we go into this sermon today to convince you that biblical community is not just something that the Lord wants us to do, but it's actually essential and necessary in your life. If you want to, as a believer, as a believer in Christ, really grow into um, the, the life that God has designed for us as Christians to live, that you cannot do this alone and that you must be in community. That's the way that we are going to live out God's commission. So um, 
Today I want to convince you to be in, as we say, fostering biblical community. So if I just shorthand that sometimes and say community, I mean biblical community, but I can't say biblical community too much because I'm weird. So, um, so I want you to be in this kind of community. So what do I mean exactly when I say that? What, what is, when I say biblical community, I'm going to give you traits of it, but I want to start off before, I, before we um, go through the text and let the text inform us of at least six traits of what that looks like. I want to start by just making sure that we all kind of have the first underlying, most important assumption when I say uh, a biblical community is a community of Christians that are centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the main thing that is in the middle of us always is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that Christ Jesus came, lived the perfect life for us on our behalf, died for us on our behalf, and that by faith, repentance and faith, if you trust in his work on the cross for you, his death on the cross for you, and you repent of your sin, that therefore his perfect righteousness is imputed to us, and our sin has been given to him, and the great exchange happens, and in on that great truth. Without that, I mean, you likely wouldn't know these people in this room. Why, why would you have ever hung out with them if it weren't for Jesus? Maybe you would have run into them somewhere and you had some other similar thing, interest maybe. We both like football or we both like something else, whatever. But the reason why we're here is because of Jesus. We know each other first and foremost because we're Christians. We might have hung out in other, in other, for other reasons. And, and that's fine. Right? I'm, not, I'm not downplaying that. But the, the main reason we know each other and the main reason we do life with each other is because Christ Jesus has saved us. And so when I say biblical community, I mean the centerpiece of it all is the gospel. So let's make sure we understand what community is not. Um, community is not quick conversations uh, whenever you have uh, uh, some time in the lobby before and after church. You haven't done community if you just made sure you had a quick conversation with someone. You had a conversation with them, but you haven't done biblical community. You might have, but usually a quick conversation doesn't mean you've done biblical week at a house or right now on Zoom to talk about the sermon that's not biblical community necessarily. That's just a Bible study. That's a Bible study. And that's what some of our community groups will look like every week. But if, if, if our community group is literally just making sure we, 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 we signed on to Zoom this week and chatted about the sermon t- text, or we went to, c- to community group and we talked about the sermon text, we're going to see there's a whole lot more to it when I say biblical community than just making sure we're attending the weekly Bible study time. Bible stu- the weekly Bible study time is good and important. I, I want you there, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you've shared your soul with people. It doesn't necessarily mean, as verse 8 will say. We'll, we'll see that in a second. So um, what, what the Lord is, uh, what the Lord is um, inviting us into and encouraging us into today is biblical community. And it takes, uh, it takes your work and, and the people's work in this church uh, working together to make sure we're really going to do life together. So many times I've heard people come to me and say, um, I just don't feel like I'm part of, of the community here at Remedy Church. I don't feel like uh, uh, I've, I've fitted in and I don't feel like things are going well for me. And I'll say, oh, okay, so um, you're having trouble connecting to the community. How many times have you gone to community group this past month? Oh, none. <laughs> See, it doesn't work like that. Community doesn't just fall on you and you feel like you're in community and you do nothing. That's not how it works. You have to be persistent in going um, and going the extra mile to make sure you're part of a community. If you just hang out and just feel like biblical community in any church, not Remedy Church, but any church is just going to fall on you and you feel like it's happening, it's not going to happen. So whenever you say, I don't feel like I'm in community, and I say, how many times have you been in community group this month? And you say zero. um, Then the problem is not likely the church, right? The problem is not likely the church. The problem is you because you're not going. And so you have to. And you go to one, and you've heard this 
say, I, I didn't come up with this. I can't remember where I heard it, but you, going to, finding the right community groups like dating, right? You go, go on one, it's like a blind date, and you realize, okay, that's not going to happen um, because that person's weird. And then you go to the next one, and you're like, oh, that wasn't that bad. Could work out. And you go to the next one, like, oh, that was, that was kind of nice. Um, that was kind of nice. Community groups are like that, you know, not just at Remedy, but every community group. That's how they are. You, you, some are like, okay, then that's not my cup of tea. They're a little weird over there. Um, that could be my group. My group could be the weird group. I don't know. Uh, I could be the weirdest one there. I, I don't know. But some people have stuck. We've all stuck together. Some people in my group here, we're the weird ones. You know, fine. I'll be the weird ones. Come be part of the weird ones. Um, but, like, my point is um, you have to be persistent. You have to be persistent and go. If you find that you don't have community uh, around you, but you never actually try to be in community, then you should realize it's because you're not being persistent. So there's, there's work involved in being a part of uh, a biblical community. So what does it look like? What does it look like? Um, well, the section that we're going to look at in chapter 2 builds on uh, chapter 1, verse 5. Chapter 1, verse 5. So Paul planted this church in Thessalonica, uh, and he's writing this letter to them after he had been with them. Uh, and we read chapter 2, but in chapter 1, verse 5, uh, I'll start at 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Um, that's a whole other subject for another day. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. How else can they know... So they went there and they preached the gospel to them. And they said, and whenever we are here preaching the gospel to you, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you. Community together. You can't know that. You can't know what kind of men or women people proved to be among you unless you're actually with them. And so verse 5 in chapter 1 builds into what uh, chapter 2 is going to give us when it comes to uh, six key traits of what biblical community is looks like. Now, this is not the exhaustive list. You could go to other places in the Bible and find more. That's fine. This is a good start, though. This is, this is it. If we're going to start with what does, what does biblical community look like? So when I said uh, it's not this, it's not this, here's some of the things that it is. And so these are, these are things that you should be doing in your church. So when someone comes to you, what, what's your church about? Community and care. When we talk about community, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. Look at verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and have been shamefully treated, mistreated, or treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Now, Paul was a church planter, right? Paul was a church planter. And he went from city to city to city to city because he was called by God to preach the gospel in a church, gather people together, appoint elders all right, go to the next one. And then he would write back letters. And so as he's doing that, he would go to some cities and experience a lot of suffering. So he just told us in verses 1 and 2, he had gone to Philippi. And as he went to Philippi, uh, for you brothers know that our coming to you is not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So I had already gone one place, and it had just gone really terribly. And it was difficult. If you read Acts 16, you can read the whole account where he was beaten with rods and thrown in jail. And about midnight, he started to pray, started to have a worship service, etc. You, you can read the whole thing in Acts 16, starting in verse 16 and following. But my point is, so if I go to Philippi, this is just in me and my normal kind of humanly flesh, right? I go to Philippi and all that happens. You know what? I think I either need a vacation or a new job. I'm quitting, right? But what does Paul do? Oh, okay, I just got mistreated. I'm willing to endure a whole lot of suffering to make sure communities happen. I set this up. I'm just going to go to the next city and see what happens. I'm willing to endure even more suffering and more persecution for the sake of Christ. See what he says. Um, you know that our coming to you is not in vain. We had experienced a lot of suffering and been shamefully treated in Philippi. And we have boldness in God to actually to come to your city knowing the same thing could have happened to us again in Thessalonica. What do we know? We don't know the future. But nevertheless, we came to Thessalonica anyway to declare to you the gospel of God in, the much, in much conflict. Biblical community will involve, it will involve um, on our behalf, being willing to endure much, to endure much 
suffering, persecution, etc. That's number one. So you're, you have boldness in God that drives you to be willing to endure much to create biblical community. So I'm not saying be like Paul exactly, I'm, but I'm having saying this mindset of Paul. What does biblical community look like? It means like having this mindset of Paul. I'm willing to endure much. It was difficult for Paul to set up this community in Philippi and then go to Thessalonica and then go to Corinth and then go to, from, from city to city. But in order to really create biblical community, he was really willing to endure much. He never quit. He never quit. There were lots of obstacles put in the way of Paul being there, but he didn't stop in order uh, to just make it easy for himself. And so that means for us, whenever we are really wanting to set up community, there are going to be difficulties. You go to a group and somebody says something, not intentionally, that hurts your feelings, or no one talked to you as much as you wanted, or Fill in the blank on any kind of thing that you might find as a difficulty or an obstacle to really wanting to connect into that group. You can leave and not do it, or you can endure much like Paul did. So biblical community means you are willing to endure much. You don't quit in the mission. You don't quit with people in your group. When someone finally starts feeling vulnerable and says, here's some crazy hard things that are going on in my life that I need help with, you're not like, oh man, really, we're going to pray that someone comes and helps you with that. Uh, we're just going to pray like fervently for you to have someone else come and help you. This with you. Biblical community it just means this, it, it, to say it in plain. It means you're willing to endure much. Now, we don't have that kind of mindset in America, I don't think, in 21st century. We're not willing to endure much with people. If things get hard, we're ready to just tap out and say, I'd rather do something else than this. This is hard. Yeah, it is. And so uh, to really have community, Christ-centered, gospel-centered community, we must be willing to endure much. We must be willing to endure much. These were done by Paul. The next thing, that's one attribute or key trait of community. We're willing to endure much. Times can get tough, and that just means... I'm staying, and I'm going I'm to press in even harder. The next thing is this, verse 3. Verse 3. Um, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Um, I'm not sure. I've tried to write this as easy as I can. You understand that being entrusted with the gospel means that you must share the gospel. You understand that. I have verses 2 and 8. It should not be just 2 and 8. You should also have verse 3 and 4 is there as well. I I meant to write 3 and 4. So that's also verses 3 and 4. But here's what I mean. Notice what he says. For our appeal does not... So his appeal as... As in, he went there and shared the gospel with them. And our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. And there it is. So we speak. So since God has saved us, we have to speak the gospel. This is what he's trying to say. We have been approved by God. This word approved there in verse 4, this is in the perfect tense, indicating that it began in the, in the past and it continues in the present, right now, continually. So God has declared me righteous in the past and it continues right now, presently. Where, am I still righteous? Am I still in the present? Then yes. Wait, okay, am I righteous right now? Well, am I in the present? Yes. It's continually. This is what the perfect tense means. Declared in the past and always true, present continually. So this is what he said. We have been approved by God. We have been declared righteous by God. So our right standing with God is not just something that happens and we can fall out of. That's not how salvation works. Once saved, always saved. So once it's been declared of us, we're always, because of the gospel of Jesus, continually approved by God. We are um, declared righteous. So we have been approved by God. And not only have we been approved by God, we've been actually entrusted. The Lord has literally taken something that is unbelievably important and given it since you've been approved if you're if you're a christian he's also entrusted you with the very thing that saved you so that now that you can proclaim it 
The gospel saves you, and it is the very thing that he's entrusted you with to proclaim. That's why he says, so we speak. So you understand that being trusted with the gospel means you have to share the gospel. If you went to the book of Acts, and maybe you're a big nerd like me and you think this would be fun. If you go through the book of Acts, I want you to go through all 28 chapters this week and just go and notice over and over and over, whenever a big group of people start getting together that are Christians, what happens? Over and over and over and over and over throughout the book of Acts, bunches of people come together and then very soon after that it says, and the Lord saved many people around them. And then they went over here and as they were around them. When Christians are together, over and over and over in the book of Acts, it seems to say when Christians get together, all of a sudden, more and more people start meeting Jesus around them. That's because they're doing this. They've been approved by God and entrusted with this great message, so we speak. We should constantly talk about the gospel. Constantly. Um, The gospel approves us before God, and then it's entrusted to you by God. The gospel carries you, and you carry the gospel. The gospel approves you, so it carries you, and God has entrusted you, so you carry the gospel, and so we must speak. Gospel communities share the gospel. Biblical communities share the gospel a lot. It's the very reason, it's one of the very reasons for their existence, to talk about what Christ has done to each other and to people that don't know. Why? Why? Well, obviously, if I I said to, to do two things, to talk about the gospel with each other and to this world. Both are important. It's not just that we need to preach the gospel to this world. That's obvious. Why? Because they don't know Jesus and they need to come to know Christ. But why also for each other? Why do we need to, whenever we get together as a group of Christians who conceivably should know the gospel, why do we need to talk about the gospel again? I think that's huge for us. Is because, one, we'll all in our hearts and minds revert over to law keeping to think, that God's finally going to be happy with me if I just start doing something rather than remember it's just about what Christ has done for us. It's not about what we do, but it's about what Christ has done. So that's one reason is because our, our, our pharisaical hearts switch over to the treadmill of law keeping and think, oh, God's going to be mad with me if I don't do. And we have to remind each other because we need other people to come around us and say, here's what Christ has done. And that's why you're righteous before God. But also because we will forget the gospel. We will um, change it to things that it's not. And we need to constantly tell each other about what the gospel is so that it doesn't move into false gospels. Because false gospels are rampant. And they are destroying the church. And so biblical communities remind each other of the gospel so that false gospels don't creep in like the social gospel or the prosperity gospel, or any other kind of false gospel, making us think that um, Christ's work and death on the cross is not the only way to salvation. And so we remind each other of the gospel to keep us from false gospels. It's imperative. It's imperative that we have the gospel as the central thing. And so we we have to talk about Jesus. As you said in verse 8, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share ready to share with with you the gospel. Verse 8, ready to share the gospel. At any moment, you should be ready to share the gospel. It's also what Peter says, right? Ready to share the gospel. So number two is that we are entrusted with the gospel, so we share the gospel. So little real recap. What do gospel communities look like? Number one, they endure much. I am willing to endure really anything for my group. Anything. I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. Well, you're the pastor. Okay. Well, all of us should have that same mindset. (laughs) We're willing to endure. Number two, we talk about the gospel a lot. That's what biblical community is. Number three, what's the third thing? What's the third thing? Verse five. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, or here it is, a pretext for greed. God is witness. We didn't come with a pretext for greed. I primarily motive when we came was not greedy. Oh, I'm getting in this thing. I'm going to that, to that city so that I can get 
That's what I want. I want to go to that city. Paul's not thinking, I'm going to Thessalonica so I can get. I just want to get stuff. Biblical community is not about getting as much as it's about, it is about giving. Number three, what is biblical community? Number three, your dominant mindset is to give to your community, not to get. I want to be, I want to be clear here. I want to be clear. If you are part of a biblical community, you are going to get. You are going to receive. So make sure that you see, read the words correctly. Your dominant mindset is to give. I, I have been a recipient over the last couple years. Uh, hopefully over the course of my entire group's existence, as long as the Lord will be, I, that'll switch. But over the last couple years, I mean, life has just been crazy for me from the different uh, challenges in my life, right? And my group has loved me and cared for me and given unbelievably to me. And so you will get in your group. Like when life's tough, your group will step up and they will love you. But the reason why is because they're coming from the other side. Their dominant mindset when I enter this group is not to receive what else can they give to me. But instead, I want to enter this group and the people in my, in my group that I love, I want to give to them. You're going to receive. There's no doubt about it. And don't, you know, uh, eschew uh, giving, people giving to you. Oh, no, 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 I can't have it. All I got to do is, is give. Never, never, never bless me. Like, you don't want to turn away blessings, right? Eschew means like throw away, sorry. Um, like, but we need to realize that our dominant mindset is to give. Acts 20, 35. As Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We've probably heard that a thousand times, um, but maybe 3,000 times, maybe 10, I don't know, a lot, right? Um, and it's true. It's absolutely true. The dominant mindset is to give. So whenever you're in your group, what's your dominant mindset? It might not be necessarily that you want to get stuff. It might just be neutrality. The dominant mindset in your group is give. How can, just every week, just think to yourself, how can I bless these people this week? How can I bless them? It doesn't have to be like, oh, they need another gift card from Starbucks or Chick-fil-A or whatever their favorite restaurant. It can just be, I can pray for them, I can send them an encouraging text, and I can send them a verse uh, that I read this morning that was unbelievably encouraging to me. And I'm going I'm to text it to the group. How can I bless my group this week? And, that's, and I'm going to do it. Not just, how can I do it? Oh, that's a great idea. I, gotta, I should probably do that sometime. Right now. Right, right now. Send the text or make the phone call or drive over and help them that day with raking their yard or whatever. I don't know. Like, fill, figure it out, right? But your over and over is, how can I bless my group today? How can I bless my group? Now, I keep saying group because for Remedy Church, the way that this happens primarily is in community groups. Um, you can do it in any way you want, but I, I'm, I'm going to keep saying group because that's the main way we do it. So, number three, your dominant mindset is to give, and we want to give. We want to give. Now, if we endure much, the gospel we have to share, and we want to give. We want to give. Now, number four could be taken back as like the big, the big picture way to think about the whole thing. But because I'm going in verse order, it's number four because it's, it's the next verse. So, uh, starting in verse six. Nor... Did we seek glory from people, whether from you or whether from others, that we could have made demands as apostles of Christ? Nor did we seek glory from people. So Paul is saying, we didn't seek our own glory. Well, we can infer here what he means then. We sought the glory of God. That's what we did. The primary thing that we wanted to do was seek the glory of God, not our own. Number four, your ultimate aim for everyone in your group is the glory of God. The ultimate aim, you go through this catechism with my kids. Are you watching kids? What's the chief end of man? All right, if y'all aren't my kids, I know. I was talking to them. But what, do y'all know the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever, right? Um, Piper's enjoy him forever, right? That's, that's the chief end of man. That's why you exist. If somebody ever asks you, what's the uh, secret of life? It's easy. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. What are we here for? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. We know. Christians know what the secret of life is. What, what's the point of life? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so community groups. What's the point of community groups? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Your community groups should be aimed for the glory of God. The aim for every community group is the glory of God. And you're like, okay, uh, 
well, that's really kind of big picture and everything falls under that. But what does that mean? What does that actually look like, FUD? Well, I can give you a couple things from the text about what that looks like. We can look at 6a, uh, nor do we seek glory from other people. Uh, making your community group, um, the chief end of your community groups, the glory of God, means it's not about the people, the leaders in the group, nor do we seek glory from people. So uh, it's done by intentionally not making the leader or any one person in the group uh, the central focus. That's the first thing. That's what it practically looks like. This group is not about Bobby. It's about Jesus. So uh, not making one person the main person, and it's, it's all about them. That's one way. That's what it practically looks like. And I would say this. Here's another way, right from the text. Um, the, the way that you can make the ultimate aim for your community group, the glory of God, what does that practically look like? Like on the ground, making my group uh, want to have the glory of God dominant? Look at verse 10. You are witnesses in God also. Here it is. How holy, how righteous, how blameless was our conduct towards you. Making your group um, the ultimate aim for your group, the glory of God, practically looks like this. Holiness is sought after in your community. Christ-likeness is what we want. If we're going to make the glory of God our goal, well, that means we want for people to look at us and say, verse 10, how holy and how righteous and how blameless is our conduct. We want to be as Christ-like as possible. That's what it means to make uh, your group have the glory, seeking after the glory of God. The chief end of our group would be to glorify God and enjoy him forever would mean being Christ-like. He restates it a little bit, even in verse 12. We exhorted you, encouraged you, and charged you here to walk in a manner worthy of God. This walk can also be translated live. So your group, um, the chief end of your group to to glorify God means that you want to walk in a way that glorifies God. You want to live day by day in a way that glorifies God. And that looks like holiness, righteousness, blamelessness. So number four, your ultimate aim is the glory of God. And that literally means that no one person is the key central focus besides Jesus. Also, number two, it means holiness is sought after in the community. Number six and seven, pay, or go to uh, verse six, or verse seven. No, actually, verse eight. I'm coming back to verse seven. I know I'm skipping seven. I'm coming back to eight. So being affectionately desirous of you, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very selves. So let's just look at that first few words. So being affectionately desirous of you. Affectionately desires. If you think about these words, these are the kinds of words that are usually kind of reserved for how you feel about someone really, really close to you. Going up to and say, you know, I have an affectionate desire to be around you right now. There's very few people I would feel super kind of comfortable and it wouldn't just be massively awkward to go up to them and say, hey, I have an affectionate desire to be around you. Like, it seems a little strange, right? But Paul's writing to this group and he's saying, so be, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to, and then keep going. So what does that mean? It means this, a huge selfless love for people. A huge selfless love. Ver, number five, verse number five, what are we at? You have a selfless love for others. You have a selfless love. Paul says this to his biblical community. And it just means this. He has a selfless love for them. A, a deep an abiding, selfless love for them. And what does it look like? What is this selfless love? Not selfish love, but selfless love. It looks like verse 9 for one place. For you, our brothers, for you, remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. So in context, he's saying, um, when I came to your city, I didn't want to be paid by you uh, as a pro- proclaimer of the gospel. I wanted the gospel to be free to you. So I went and worked another job and earned my keep doing this other job so I could eat so that I wouldn't be any kind of financial burden to you. In context, this is what he means, right? Um, he did the same thing in Corinth whenever we studied through Second Corinthians. Um, Paul, This is Paul's MO when he goes city to city. But we can look at this and say, okay, he's willing to labor and toil night and day. 
So if we're talking about having a selfless love for other people not a, and keep, keeping ourselves from being selfish, then we can take that same mindset and put it into our group where we want to labor and toil night and day. We're willing to give all hours to our people. We're willing to labor and toil with them. We're not just willing to kind of do the bare minimum to be a part of the group and give them the couple hours of the requirement of the church. We're ready to give them night and day. They call me at any time, I'm coming there. I'm going to help them. Whatever they need, I'm there. I'm willing to put in the long, hard time and work to be the person that builds up this community. Um, community, Biblical community is not just a a two-hour project a week that you can schedule. That's, That's basically it. It's not, oh, yeah, I'm doing biblical community on Tuesday night and Friday night, and then boom, we're all, we're all there. Two hours a week, I'm locked in. That's not what it is. That's not what it is. Um, would you think that you could do that with your own family? I'm locked in. I build family. Tuesday night, Friday night, family's awesome. That's all they get. No. Like, so we don't think of time as ours. Oh, this is my time, not my group's time. I'm going to labor and toil. That's what it means to be, have selfless love for each other. So um, what, what's another way to think about it? Not just, not just uh, verse 9. Stay on this number 5. So uh, in verse 9, he talks about being able to labor and toil. But he also gives more understanding of what selfless love looks like. If you have children or you are a child, uh, which in, hopefully is everybody here. You were a child at some point. You had parents. Uh, it, you, get, you get an understanding of what this, what this looks like. Paul gives us, he wants us to think about selfless love in our community group with familial terms, as in family terms. Think about how deeply you love the people in your family. You, you do anything for them. Anything for them. Think about how deeply, if you have ch- a, ch- a child, think about how deeply you love that child and you would do anything for them. Anything for them. Or think about your parent. And how they were maybe willing to do anything for you as, as their child. Paul wants us to think of our community groups in this type of, in type of mindset. Why would you say that, Fudd? It's right there in the text. Because he's going to use mothers and fathers in his illustration. You can see it in verse 7 when it comes to mothers. And you can see it in verse 11 and following for, for fathers. Verse 7. Here's the mother side. But we were gentle among you like nursing mothers taking care of our own children. So he wants us to be selfless uh, and have a selfless love for people like mothers who are gentle and uh, how they would take care of their own children. And he wants us to also be selfless in our love for our group like fathers in verse 11. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you, encourage you, and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of, of, of the Lord. So terms like mothers and fathers. Now, of course, mothers can encourage and fathers can be gentle, of course, right? Um, I'm not so gentle. I want to be more like my wife. Uh, she's probably more gentle. All the kids are like, yep, she is. I know, I know. I want to be gentle like, mo- like mommy, okay? Um, but my point is, in our groups, we need to be gentle and encouragers. That's what he's saying in verse 7 and 11. We need to be gentle with our groups and we need to be encouraging. And that means we need to have a selfless love for them. That's what biblical community is, selfless love. And he wants you to think of your, the whole point is, think of everybody in your group in familial terms. How much do you love the people in your family, in your immediate family? That's how much you're supposed to love the people in your biblical community. In the same way you love your family. That's, that's what the point Paul's trying to make. Now, Lastly, verse 8. So being officially desirous of you, we're ready to share. So we talk about affectionately desirous. We're ready to share with you not only the gospel of God. We've already talked about that, about how you have to share the gospel. And then he also says this. But also, we didn't just share the gospel with you, which would be good. Like if someone, I'm just willing to share the gospel with you, but also I'm ready to share with you. Here in verse 8, it says our own selves. Our own selves. Now, there's a whole lot more depth to that word selves. Selves is psuche, uh, and it literally means our soul. It literally means our soul. We're willing to share our souls with each other. That's the last thing. Number six, you're willing to be vulnerable and share your soul with your 
community. That's scary. I will acknowledge it right up front because we're all sinners. And being vulnerable is maybe one of the scariest things in the world. Opening up who we are to people and thinking that they won't respond with the uh, good luck with that um, is scary. Like, but that shouldn't happen, right? Biblical community means you're willing to be vulnerable and share your soul. Piper writes, where the gospel flourishes, that means community groups The center of them is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That means the gospel flourishing. Where the gospel flourishes, people share their souls, their joy, their guilt, their fear, their longing, their passions. This is what our group should have. We are willing to share our very souls and it not be weird and like, wow, they they got kind of personal. That's the expectation of the Bible. Yeah, of course. We should be... It should, it should be the other way. Wow, God, they, they never get personal. That's shocking to us. That's what should be shocking. They never, everybody, nobody ever gets vulnerable here. We should be vulnerable with each other, sharing our very souls. He's not, we don't just share the gospel, but we literally share our souls. Now, that means deep, meaningful relationships with each other are at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. Deep, meaningful relationships. That's why I said, And number five, think of this in familial terms. You're willing to do that with your family, likely. They know who you are. I mean, they know who you are, the goods and bads, right? They live with you. So they know, they've seen you in the morning when you wake up. And none of us are are pretty then, right? Um, Which means they know us. They know us. Now, here's where it gets awesome, all right? I've I've saved maybe the the most interesting fact to the very end because I wanted you to feel everything. I wanted you to get the weight of everything that Paul was saying. And here's here's the most interesting fact there is. Paul writes that he was willing to share his very own soul with all these people, having ministered with them for three weeks. Three weeks. That's how long he was there. When he, wrote, he had been there for three weeks. He left, and he wrote this letter to him. Have you ever, like, met somebody that's a Christian, and you talk to them for about 30 minutes, and you've shared more information with them than with people that you've known your whole life because you connected with them at some kind of level, like, oh, you're a Christian, and then you start talking— that's, that's, the, that's the way God's economy works, right? God's economy, because of Jesus, makes it so that we can connect with people at really deep levels pretty quick if we're willing to be vulnerable. Community that Paul's writing, that he had with the Thessalonians, you can have that with Christians in Remedy Church in less than three weeks if you're just willing to do, do what the Bible says and be vulnerable and let the gospel be the very centerpiece of your, your uh, community. I would submit to you that's the way God's economy works. Now, I want to conclude with this. We can all just agree 2020 has been probably the most crazy year of our lifetime, right? You've seen the memes like there's 2020 blowing up or whatever, like goodbye. Like New Year's is going to be a big party for us, right? Like goodbye finally. Like, so we're all happy 2020 is gone. We've seen the memes or whatever, right? Finally say bye-bye to this year. Um, and so I realize that since the year has been tough, um, that means it's been tough for everybody. It means it's been tough for everybody. And so it just reiterates the fact that we really, really need to be in biblical community. We really, um, one of the, I, I remember whenever uh, in, in March, whenever I was talking with Tim, he said, oh, are you doing, he said the phrase to me, so, are you doing social distancing? And I'd never heard the phrase before. It was the first time I'd ever heard it. And I was just like, doing what? That's like the opposite of what the church is supposed to do. Church in the Greek, ekklesia, literally means the called out, gathered together ones. And COVID is literally like, be apart from each other and don't get near each other and only through technology. It's literally like the opposite of what the church is supposed to do. And so if anything COVID has done, it is literally... uh, rewired our brains to be as independent as possible. And as soon as this thing's over, one of the main jobs of all pastors, not just me and and pastors here, but every pastor across the world is going to have to re, um, try to help you see that you have to like stop being independent and start being dependent again. Like rewire your brain to realize, oh, I'm not supposed to be independent anymore. 
I'm actually supposed to be dependent. I've been so like away from everybody, doing my own thing, surviving by myself. And one of the, I think the hugest obstacle that every pastor is going to have to have to get over over the next year once this thing's over is to rewire all your brains to stop being independent and start realizing, no, 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 you can't be that way. You have to be back together again, depending on each other. I know that you've had to do it on your own for six months in a lot of ways, but you got to get over that. So um, I wanted to say, instead of waiting until this is over, challenging us, what are the ways that I can not be independent anymore right now? I realize we still have to in some ways, but what are the ways that we can start brushing independent mindsets aside now and really making sure, as as much as it's possible, that we're actually living this out right now? Really making sure that we are not social distancing uh, in the spiritual sense, but we're still, we're still the ecclesia in the spiritual sense. We're still the gathered together people of God sharing our souls with each other, even if it has to be over Zoom or um, spread out. But that we're still really realizing we're still the church right now. We're still the gathered together Christians, the ecclesia. And so, um, as we're closing, I want you to look through these things and think about what are things that I need to do right now? Do I need to start sharing my soul more? Do I need to make sure I'm developing my love for other people? Do I need to make sure that the glory of God is the centerpiece of my life and my group? Do I need to make sure that the dominant mindset is that I'm giving to my community rather than trying to give? Do I need to make sure that I am improving at sharing the gospel? Do I need to make sure that I am willing to endure much hardship, not just ready to tap out at the very first thing that's difficult? Which one is it that you, or maybe all, (laughs) need to work on right now, before this whole thing's over, but right now? Which one is it that you need to start uh, working on so that you can be one of the life-giving church people here at Remedy Church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. I pray that you would use it to strengthen the church and that you would encourage us in the faith uh, and that you would build community here at Remedy Church, biblical community. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.